know what? I've been doing it for other people for so long and I'm not getting any younger. And I want to like live life on my terms and take control back a little bit. So I left in 2018 and I decided to launch my own brands, which is a little Welcome to the Land Life Podcast with your host, PJ Riley. Hey guys, welcome to the Land Life Podcast. Guys, quick thank you for liking, subscribing, doing all those good things. Um, guys, today we got an awesome guest. We got a rock star. She's got not one, but multiple businesses. Uh, Lynn Power, how you doing? Um, I'm good, but you, you call me a rock star and I just say I'm crazy, but I like, I like your definition better. <laughs> well, rock stars are pretty crazy too, right? I guess so. That's true. That's true. Okay. So Lynn, uh, you have multiple businesses. Um, Isle the Nature, uh, CEO of, of Masami, which I really like that name. That's really cool. Uh, and I'll ask you about that one uh, here in a second. Um, how'd you get started? Like, where did you begin? Like, we want to know your story first, and then we'll kind of move into the actual businesses. Yeah. So I, I'm old. <laughs> I spent 30 years in advertising and marketing. And I actually, um, now I see my son going through what, you know, that, that, you know, trying to figure yourself out phase. He's 21, right. Mm -hmm. Trying to understand. But when I was his age, I wanted to be an FBI agent. Actually. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to get into advertising. I didn't know anything about advertising, but there was a recession. This was again, back, back in 1989. And I met this recruiter because, you know, those days there's no internet. I God, I, this is awful. I thought, I feel so old talking about it like this, but anyway. No, um, I understand. And you're talking to people that are probably, that will probably will also understand pre-internet too. So. Okay. Cause literally we had to cut things out of the paper because there were like help wanted ads in the paper. Yeah. And I found this recruiter through the paper, the newspaper and uh, went to downtown Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. We went to downtown Chicago to meet her. And this is where sometimes your superpower can be um, hidden even from yourself until it's exposed. And then you realize it. I'm a really good typist, like really good, huh. like really fast. I can type really, really well. I had to take a typing class in high school. Like who does that? Right. Like who does that these days? Okay. Yeah. Best I class ever. See, it's a hidden skill. When you type fast, oh my God, you can be so efficient and you yeah. can get so much done because I just crank through stuff so fast and people are like, how did you do that? I'm like, what do you mean? I just, anyway, my point is I go in this interview and this woman, her name was Beverly Von Winkler. I'll never forget Beverly. She was like amazed at my typing. And she literally said to me, I'm sending you on an interview tomorrow for a receptionist at an ad agency. You're going to go there. You're going to get the job and you're going to love it. And that's the way it's going to be. And I was like, all right, I didn't know any better. So that's what happened. It's exactly what happened. She sent me, they hired me on the spot because I was a living, breathing person who, you know, who could answer the phones and type. Yeah. And then after about six months, I got promoted to account management role. And I stayed there for about three years and got promoted a, another time or two. And that was my getting into advertising, you know, and I really loved it. And I loved, I loved that it was this combination of creativity and business mm -hmm. and that you can really merge those things together. Um, and then I ended up, you know, going to work for Ogilvy and Mather. It's a big agency and then, and then moving to New York. 
um, with my then boyfriend, now husband, um, and worked at several agencies in New York and ended up being the CEO of one of the largest agencies in the world, um, J. Wow. Walter Thompson. And, um, and then I left in 2018 because I decided, you know what, I've been doing it for other people for so long and I'm not getting any younger and I want to like live life on my terms sure. and take control back a little bit. So I left in 2018 and I decided to launch my own brands, which is a little bit like, you know, um, what do they say? Eating, eating your own dog food, or there's some expression like that. I can't remember, but it's something like that where it's like, okay, I got to see if all the advice I've been giving to other people yes. actually works. If I give it to myself, if I do it for myself. Yep. Um, so that's kind of what happened. So I launched, I launched my first business, Masami, which is clean premium hair care. And, um, it launched in, uh, at New York fashion week in February of 2020, took us about 18 months to, you know, get everything, branding, e-com site, all that stuff sorted out, consumer testing, all that. And then the second business, Ilda Nature, launched in September 2020, and that's a bee-powered home fragrance company. Wow. So, yeah, it's bit, that's why I say I'm crazy, because <laughs> most people just getting one off the ground is like a lot. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to do another one. It's Let's like, go with two. Yeah. It's like, why did I think I, I mean, I love it, but. It is, it, there are days when I'm like thinking, what, what am I doing? But it's, yeah. it's all good. Okay. So I have a selfish question here. Uh, what are people doing wrong? You're a marketing expert. Uh, what are people doing wrong in marketing today? Uh, there's so many different videos. So many things people do. are doing wrong. Oh my God. Where do we, do we have enough time? Give me the cliff notes version so that okay. we can. Well, the first thing, and I'll tell you this from, I'm going to, I have multiple hats. So I've got my advertising hat, my marketing hat. And before I launched my own businesses, I spent about a year consulting and I worked almost exclusively with startups, okay. a lot in the tech space. So this is the thing that I noticed with a lot of these startups um, and, and entrepreneurs in general, people get really enamored with their product, right? Like, oh my God, I have the best hair care formulations, which is true, by the way, we do, but they forget about the brand. They forget that they're actually building a brand and they're building an experience and a lot of times when I would look at my clients' website, their communications, all their different, you know, their sales materials, stuff did not coalesce even in the slightest bit. Hmm. So there was no sort of center of gravity for the brand story, if you will. So that is mistake number one. It's like you almost have to start there. You can't kind of retrofit it later. It's harder because then you got to unravel stuff. So I always say, start with understanding your brand, but start with not just your brand story, which is kind of, you know, what we just sort of even how it came about, but like, start with your values. What are the things that should never change if you're building a brand? Because your brand and your business can pivot. I mean, I launched right before COVID. Who knew, right? I mean, so right. you have to be flexible in your business model and in even the products you're selling, but there are values that shouldn't change, right? Like for us, we really care about sustainability. So it's baked into every, you know, lot, everything we do. Um, we really care about inclusivity. You know, that's why our products are gender neutral and we're, we're, you know, for every hair type. Like, so there's just certain things that like, even if I launched a body lotion or a snack or, you know, yeah. seaweed 
something, it should still fit those principles. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's a set of principles is, is the first thing. That's the, the base. You need a foundation before you can even, you can sell literally anything if you have the, a good foundation and a good core of, belief, of beliefs, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. But most people do it the other way around. They okay. start with yeah. the product and then they try to build a business around the product. And that's where I see a lot of problems happen. That's very interesting. Guys, take that with you. Write that down. Don't forget, write that down. Principles, values first, then we'll build something around it. Um, okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. You have two businesses. Let's start with Masami. Uh, I looked at the website. It's super awesome. Everything's very green. Uh, what is what is Makabu? That's a really good question because uh, I didn't know what it was before either. <laughs> um, but what happened was I met my co-founder, James. James was in the beauty industry for 25, 30 years. And he kind of did this as a side project. He was working on these formulations. He was introduced to Makabu, which is our... It's a right. Japanese, Japanese ocean botanical, i.e. seaweed. Um, he was introduced to that through his husband, Masa. And now you're going to start to see the dots connecting because Masa is our muse, hence Masami, our brand okay. name. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Masa's from Japan. He's from a little town in Northeast Japan called Atsuchi. It was actually where the tsunami really devastated that area back in, I think it was 2011, um, and the only thing left was a little temple in the bay, which is crazy. Hmm. But anyway, um, so in Masa's hometown, they the people there, first of all, look like they're all 12. They, look, they have skin and hair, like beautiful, right? Um, and Masa's mother, who's in her 80s, she looks like she's like 30 or 40 years younger than that. She's, you know, they all just look really amazing. But they consume makabu which is the bottom of wakame seaweed. It's like the nutrient dense bulb at the bottom of a wakame seaweed. They eat it all the time. It's like in the US, the equivalent would be kale or avocados or you know something that to us is like no big deal. It's just part of our diet. And there it's the same way. It's like they eat it all the time. And what James saw happen was they would not just eat it, but they would grind it up. They dry it, grind it up and like mix it into their lotions and their shampoos and it would give them extra like hydration. Hmm. So that was the spark of there's something here. What can we do to make this into a formula that can work? And then of course, make the formula clean without all the crap that's in the U S market. Cause yeah. 90% of the products in the U S market still have toxic ingredients, which to me is kind of shocking, but it is what it is. So so how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you get started on something like that though? I mean, it's, it's not like you're, you gotta, you gotta transport all the, 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 uh, Macabu over to the United States. Are we, uh, is, are the factories over there? How does that physically look? Yeah. So we found a seaweed manufacturer through Masa actually through Masa's brother had known of someone at the seaweed company. So that's how that connection came about. And they're a family-owned seaweed company that's been around for like, I want to say 85, 90 years. Like wow. a really long time. And so they do food grade products. They don't even do beauty. We're their only beauty client, I suppose. And they work with the local fishermen to harvest the makabu and they dry it and then they send it to us. So that's that. Um, and it's great to have that direct relationship because we went, we visited sure. the factory, like, I can, I know it's ethically sourced. I know that they pay fair wages, like all that good stuff. Uh, but we actually make our products in Chicago. 
So we have a chemist who's in Chicago who creates our formulations and then also packs our products. So, um, you know, once we kind of had the formulas, then we had to figure out the packaging. And then once we had the packaging, we could then move on to manufacturing and get all that done. The packaging is a little tricky. I think if anyone is thinking of making a product like a physical product, um, it's gotten trickier with COVID because we have had to source, unless you want to pay a, t- a shit ton of money where you're getting like custom packaging done, which is expensive. We, we um, had to source from lots of different places. So we have our little 10 ounce bottles that we get from Amsterdam, actually. They're the wow. only place we could find them. And then the caps, you know, we get some of them from Taiwan, some from China, we get some of our packaging from the US. It's kind of hodgepodge. So um, that's been a bit of a challenge and we're trying to figure out how to consolidate that to make it a little easier for ourselves. But um, yeah, that, that's just always one of those things that is tricky to figure out. Yeah. Um, and then of course you want it to be as sustainable as possible and, and all that other stuff, so. Yeah, so I, I think I, I harp on this all the time. It's like relationships are so super important in business. So you developed a relationship in Japan. So you already, you have this relationship with them. That makes everything so much easier. If you can have a one-on-one, a normal, like you and I are having conversation with someone who's helping you on that end of the business. Um, and then the Amsterdam thing, I mean, I, the, the bottles, did, did that, did you know those people previously? Or was that just something you looked them up online? Like who's got bottles? Who can get us what we need? It was literally like, how can we find these bottles? They were like, yeah. they're not custom but they're a little used stock bottle and ours are green, a very specific color. So it's like yeah. find anyone who had those. So we found this company in Amsterdam and their minimum quantity. And this is another problem entrepreneurs run into is finding manufacturers who will sell you this stuff at low quantities. So you're not having to buy, you know, a million bottles and then yeah. realize that, oh, that's not what people want to buy. They want to buy our other product in this different bottle and you have all these empty bottles. So they had a minimum quantity of 30,000. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> so we bought 30,000 bottles. Okay. Um, now we're almost through them all. Thank God, right? We've you. almost used them all up. I'm, I'm going to have to order more, but those are the sort of challenges that you kind of have to wrap your arms around because um, your options are either find a different packaging, you know, like just scrap that idea, go to a different packaging idea, yeah. um, or, you know, and, and even then you, there's no guarantee you're going to find the quantities you want and the sure. supply you want. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think a lot of new people that get into like a physical business, whether it be supplements like sports supplements, that's a, yeah. something along those same lines. Um, like you said, like, like lotions, shampoo, something like that. They, they have the idea, like you said, they, they really want to sell shampoo or they want to sell something. Um, these are the kind of things that most people don't think about right away. Where am I going to get the bottles? I know. Like, and then they get gonna... easy too. Like what's so hard finding them? And again, if you buy like very generic bottles, they're yeah. a lot easier to find. Yeah. But if you want your brand to be distinctive, that's the challenge, right? Like you want it to have some personality and ethos and, and, and if you, especially if you're premium priced, right. If you're going to charge premium, you know, you can't have it just be like Joe Schmo's supplements. I mean, a white bottle with just some writing on it and your logo. Yeah. So 
um, those are all those decisions around, you know, building your brand that, that you need to make, but, um, but it's all trade-offs really. Sure. Sure. So you're, you, all right. So, so we got, we got the idea. We have our purpose or everything's built. We got the product. We got the relationships. Everything's good. Now we're trying to sell it. What kind of, you're an expert at advertising. Like, what are you guys doing as far as advertising goes? Is it all online? Are you, you know, how does that look for, for a company like, uh, like Masami? Well, it's different for me because we have no money. We have not taken investment money. So we're totally bootstrapped. Wow. As opposed to, you know, when I worked in my big ad, ad job, there was like millions of dollars, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a little different, but I will say, you know, the, the basic principles around advertising marketing are the same, right? You want to reach the right consumers. So you have to understand who they are, what their, what their demographics are, what their psychographics are. You want to reach them with the right message at the right time. Um, and when you have no money, like we do, <laughs> <laughs> Then, then, you know, you're, you're doing scrappy things. You're doing a lot of social media. Yeah. Like we're very active on social media, you know, even though I am personally completely inept at TikTok, <laughs> we have a TikTok account. Yeah. <laughs> my, my teenagers help with that. So it's like, you know, you, you figure this stuff out, but you try to find ways to get your story out. And then you try to figure out like, okay, Facebook is where we can tell more of our community story and Instagram is beautiful pictures. And, you know, I'm, I'm obviously boiling this down to really <laughs> bonehead simple, but you know, you kind of, sure. you kind of try to figure That's the out best way to do it though, too. That's the best way to, to start explaining things. Yeah. Just like really like, and then LinkedIn is where we post, Hey, we got into this new retailer. Hey, we're, you know um, so, so you can kind of start to optimize all those channels. And I always tell people too, in any business, LinkedIn is a really valuable place. Mm-hmm. where people kind of dismiss it as a selling channel because it's like a business channel. But if you think about my customer, right, premium hair care, my network, I've got, I don't know, 5,000 people or something like that. They're all, they're all potential customers. And yeah, also yeah. You know, people like to keep up with what you're doing. And I often share lots of tips and lots of things we're working on and I have other founders. And so you can build a community that way. And that's really helpful. Are you selling to uh, salons as well? It's, uh, yeah. Is that right? Okay. So on LinkedIn, is that going to be a place where you can find like business owners of salons where you're selling maybe more of a bulk sale? Maybe. You know, the interesting thing is I found that salon owners don't use LinkedIn almost at okay. all. Okay. So I don't know if it's like a professional thing. Some of them are, but very few. Okay. Um, where so would I, they be? They... <laughs> They are harder to find. They're they're heavy on Facebook. That would be the number one place. Um, so I do a lot of you know DM salon owners on Facebook kind of thing. Um, but I've found that for salons, the one hundred percent best thing you can do is walk into the salon with the products. Hmm. Hey, can I tell you about my products? And I'm not I'm not an extrovert. I'm a learned extrovert, but I'm an introvert at heart. So it's a little terrifying to have to like walk in cold and like sales calls. But I will say that like when I've been doing it, people are really nice. I really haven't had anyone be like, no, no, you know, don't want to hear. People have been really nice. So I I feel like the salon industry, the salon owners and stylists are lovely people. They're really busy. They're stretched. Yes. And they're not social, you know, social media savvy. And so you kind of have to have that like face to face. 
Yeah. Um, now, what would you say is the so that's super scary for people, like I going know. into a business, like that's something no one wants to do. They want to do it online, you know, hey, hands oh, off. Oh. I don't want to do it either. <laughs> but what makes you successful at something like that? Are you, what are your strat- strategy, I guess, going into something like that? You know what? It's a thick skin. And I just tell myself, I try, you know, it's, it's, it, it's like basic fundamentals of leadership these days. And the number one thing, in my opinion, is empathy Mm -hmm. because Mm. we're all going through shit. I mean, I just, I've just finished my cancer treatment. Right. Yeah. Um, So, you know, if you kind of walk into somebody's salon or walk into somebody's place of business, whatever it is that you're trying to sell with not just like, Hey, I have to sell you this and I want to, you know, but like, Hey, you know, asking them how their business is doing, asking them what their challenges have been, you know, like they're human, you know, yeah. they just want a human connection. And that makes it a little less scary. Cause like I said, people are really nice. Even if they tell me they're not interested at the end, usually I had a great conversation and I don't walk out feeling completely deflated, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's, that's such a, today's in today's day and age, the face-to-face uh, sales, like door-to-door sales, um, you know, that's so hard and terrifying for people, you know, the, the, as, as social media moves up, uh, the face-to-face interaction goes down. I mean, maybe zoom calls possibly, but, uh, the actual walking into a business and, you know, trying to make a sale. I mean, you obviously have a strategy and you're just a genuine, nice person. Maybe they'll buy, maybe they won't, but you know, you're still going to have the same strategy, but, uh, it's still nerve wracking. It's like, ah, what do I do? So kind of going on the other side, social media. Uh, are you using influencers? Are you using, uh, like, are you using other people to sell it for you? Um, yes and no. So we we're very active on Instagram, Facebook. I mentioned TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest. I would throw in there. YouTube. We have our YouTube channel, and I'll do YouTube lives. I'm doing one after this, so we'll do stuff like that. Um, influencers are tricky because what I've found is that the beauty space is so saturated that the ones who have made their living only doing beauty product reviews, they have hundreds of beauty product reviews. And frankly, to me, they've lost credibility because if you're reviewing that many products yeah. and they're all amazing. Yeah, they're all the best thing I've ever tried. Right. <laughs> My hair and looks amazing. 10 other hair products that they've just done in the last month. It's sort of like, really? And so what I found is it doesn't translate to sales very well. Um, So what we've tried to find is more micro influencers who are more lifestyle bloggers or a makeup artist who doesn't do a lot of hair, you know, so it's not like they're people that are just product review, product review, you know, like, um, so, so, and the thing is, that's a whole business. Like you could spend your entire day trying to figure out the influencers and who you want to work with, like. So I try not to stress too much. I look at their following. I look at the shit they, the, the stuff they post. If it looks like a good fit, yeah, I send them product. I hope they post it. If they don't, I don't sweat it. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's shift a little bit. We got, a, I mean, another business. And you say ill to nature? Um, sure. Okay, I said aisle. So I, I said it wrong first. No, but that's fine. Uh, my oh. pronunciation is terrible. So your your yours is good. Yeah, we'll call it. You're the boss. You call it whatever you want. Um, okay, so that's a, com- a kind of a completely different business. What? How did you go from shampoos and conditioners to scented uh, candles and coins to I, I didn't 
you're gonna have to explain that to me as well. Yeah. So that business was more of my little passion project because my husband and I were in Dominica in, okay, let me figure out what year it was. 20, it was whenever Hurricane Maria was, was that 2017 or 2018? Gosh, there's so many hurricanes. I I don't know. Anyway, the point being, we have friends who have a a boutique luxury hotel down there and it got complete, like the island got absolutely completely, like the airport was flattened, like the hurricane really did damage. So there was pretty much no business for months, like nine months. And so they, they called us up and they said, can you guys come down and help us? Because our business fell off the cliff, literally. And um, we really don't know what to do to get people back to the island and all that stuff. So we went, yeah. we went down and, and spent a week with them, just helping them with literally looking at their SEO, their, you know, their content, like everything. And one of the ideas we had was, well, you know, Dominica is called Nature Island for a reason. There's no Starbucks. There's no golf courses. There's no chain restaurants of any kind on this island. It's very raw. It's very unadulterated nature. It's amazing. It's probably one of the last places on earth that's going to be like this, right? Okay. Before humans really screw it up. And so we thought, okay, and they don't have a tourist trade in the sense of like, you know, if you've ever been to Jamaica, you know, they sell the wooden masks and if, you know, certain islands are known for certain things, Sure. they don't have any of that. So, um, So we were like, what if we made nature into luxury? Because it really is. If you think about it that way, like what's luxury today? It's when you go to a place that doesn't have all this other stuff, right? Yeah. It really is very luxurious. And yeah. so embracing nature and then creating a product that also gave back to nature. So our products are beeswax candles. The beeswax is from Dominica and we build more hives with every sale. So we've actually started to build hives down there and that's how that works. But it seems like a totally different business, but at the end of the day, who doesn't love a really nice scented candle, right? Sure. And, and it's, it's kind of in the broader wellness space. If you think of self-care, beauty and, and wellness. And so a lot of what I've been doing for Masami has translated over and the, the candle business can kind of just draft along. Um, so that works quite well, actually. That's awesome. So you found like a, there was like a problem down there. You figured out a solution and, and, and kind of developed that solution and you got a business out of it too. So how are you marketing that? Is that, um, do they have to go there and just to see the product? Can they get it online? Uh, how does that work? So that's all online, but we're in some of the same boutiques that we're in for Masami. And actually one of the things I did this year we hadn't talked about this, but it's actually one of the most interesting things we've done is we actually created a pop-up called the Conscious Beauty Collective with my two brands and 30 other brands. Mm-hmm. We went to uh, Stonestown Gallery in San Francisco. We're there now. We're, we're started in April. We're there for three months. So we finished at the end of June. And then we're moving to the Natick Mall in Boston um, from September to the end of the year. So that okay. the reason I did that was because for indie brands like mine that are online, it's hard for people to experience them. It's kind of exactly what you're saying. It's like, how does somebody know what a candle smells like? You know, yeah, yeah you can buy it online, but so, and even with the shampoo, it's like people want to see it and smell it. And you know, there's that whole thing. So um, it's very difficult when you're an indie beauty brand because it's hard to get into any mass retailers and, and do that profitably because they just take such a huge chunk of your margin. So 
this idea was born out of, we had really good brand partnerships over the last two years. Let's take those to the next level. So how can we really maximize those brand partnerships, but create a space where we can kind of bridge online and offline. So it's e-commerce meets experience really. Wow. Okay. So that's what it is. And so we, you know, I floated the idea with, I, I came up with the idea when I was going through my chemo, which my husband thought I was absolutely insane. Like, like you need another thing to take on while yeah, right. cancer treatment. Um, and, but then I floated the idea to a couple of the brands that I've been working with and they all go, Oh my God, yes, we're in, we're in. And so I'm like, okay, well we have to do it now. So we did it. It was great. It's gone really well. So we're doing it again and we'll probably keep doing it, but that's a place where you have a, like the candle business, the candles, part of the store, people can go in, they can smell it. They can see it. It just makes sure. it a lot easier. So in that regard, how many, where, where can people go do this? Like, I want to go do it. I live in Denver. You know, how far do I got to go? To do what? To smell. I want to see the candles. I want to. Denver. Oh boy. We don't really have much in Denver for you. So, but maybe we'll bring the pop up there. Cause the whole idea is it's a traveling road show. So we've, we started in San Fran. We'll be in Boston. I was actually thinking Dallas or Houston next. Okay. Yeah. Dallas is a great city. Right. Like I think they, but Denver's also great. Like, so that's what we're going to, cause that way, at least I feel like we get to educate about clean beauty because not everybody understands why you need clean beauty products. Um, So we get to spread the love. We get to have news as we're kind of going across the country. Like there's so many benefits to it. It's been great. Yeah. That's super exciting. Um, How many employees do you have? How how many employees run, do you need to run all this? You're using virtual assistants. (laughs) Well, to run the store, I've got actually a staff of eight people. Okay. They're all except one are USF interns, University okay. of Francisco interns, marketing yeah. interns. Perfect. So they do my TikTok, they do content there. And that's been great. That's awesome. So it was a little bit of an experiment like, okay, because I think one of the scariest things, if you're launching a business that is a physical space and anyone listening can relate to this, hiring staff is not easy, especially these days. You especially go now, all, yeah. right? And there's all help wanted signs everywhere. So it's like, how do you find people? So I thought, okay, what if I hire interns instead of normal employees? And they're paid. Yeah. So they love it because they're incentivized because they're paid interns. But then I'm also getting the benefit of social media out of them because yeah. they're savvy because they're marketing interns. So that's been pretty good. Um, so we will see if that model can continue to work for us. I don't know. That's super smart because that not only are they, you said they're advertising, but they're also young and they're, they're hit. They get the, what's going on. You don't need to go research who the, you know, what place you go to advertise this stuff, who you talk to. They already know they, they, this is what they do every day. They wake up, they look at their phone they already know exactly what to do, where to go. So pulling these people from, you know, university, you said university of San Francisco, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pulling these people from a a hip area, a hip school, they already know everything. So all you gotta do is pay them and they're, they're ready to go. Yeah. I, yeah. It's been really good in that sense for sure, because you're right. Like there's no learning curve. They get it. And a lot of college students are in the mall, right? So like they Mm -hmm. get the whole vibe. Um, And, and, and I love it when they'll, they'll, text me and they'll say, Hey, an idea for switching the store up. What about moving these products there and doing this there? And I was like, great. Like, just just go do it, do it. You know? Yeah. Um, So I kind of look at it all as very experimental, which is fun too, because Mm -hmm. 
who knows? Everything's changing all the time and what yes. works today might not work tomorrow. So you got to be willing to try stuff. Absolutely. They'll know the lingo. They'll know how to talk to people that are kind of in your market, man. That's, that's, that's really smart. Uh, so if you're listening to this, pay attention, hire mm-hmm. interns in whatever field you're in, hire interns. Um, yes. What's the long-term strategy here? I mean, I love the business, so I don't know because ultimately, you know, the goal for most entrepreneurs is you want to exit, right? You Mm want to be acquired. Um, And that's probably true for us too, but I also am just having so much fun that I'm not in a hurry to have that happen. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's fun. I mean, there's like, it's like cool. It's, it's interesting. It's exciting and things are changing all the time. So yeah. And in the meantime, we're just going to keep launching more products. We're working on a hair mask. And so we'll just keep, keep doing it. And until somebody stops buying it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Lynn, how can people get hold of you? I'm easy to find. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, You can email me at lynn at lovemossme.com. You can find me on social at Lynn Powered on every channel. You can find Masami at lovemasami.com. You can find us at Love Masami Hair on every channel. Ilda Nature is I-S-L-E-D-E nature.com. And Perfect. the handle's the brand name for all the socials. So yeah, but I'm very uh, active on all the channels. So literally if you DM me or you email me or any of that, I will get back to you. Awesome. Lynn, you have so much cool information like you know that you know this topic. So anybody new that wants to get into any sort of business has is, is going to learn a lot, uh, you know, from today. So I, I really genuinely appreciate that. And honestly, I'm stealing a bunch of information too. So uh, <laughs> that's very helpful for me. It's, I think this podcast is a very selfish thing. Pretty much just doing it for myself. Oh, that that <laughs> works. You get to ask exactly what you want to know, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, what do I do here? Where do I go? Uh, it's for the listeners. It's not for me. Come yeah, yeah for the listeners, of course. Come on. Yeah. All right. Lynn, big question. Here's the final question we ask everybody. This is the exciting one. Yes. We're land life. I buy and sell dirt and trees. Yes. Uh, if you could buy land anywhere in the entire world, where would it be and why? Okay. So on my trip down to Dominica, which was right before, it was two days before the hurricane hit was when we left. I actually bought land. Nice. Yeah. And, um, I broke my wrist on a hike and then oh, no. I still bought land anyway. So we have to develop it, but that's one place. But if I was going to forget that land, pretend I didn't have it and answer your question completely fresh. I love Italy. I do. I think it's hard for Americans because they tax the crap out of you. But if I could, if like, if, if it wasn't a problem, I would definitely want to buy one of those like, I don't know, like old villas that could be totally renovated and beautiful. And yeah, that's what I would do. Yeah. We were kids. We lived in Sicily. Oh my Uh, God. So yeah, I know. Uh, It it is as nice as everyone, as you, as you think it is, if you've never been there, but uh, if you have, then you you already already know. Um, Yeah. Italy is an awesome place. That's, that'd be awesome. But so, so Dominique, you already have land. How much, what'd you get? So this is the cool thing about Dominica. So our friends that have the boutique hotel have a property that they're developing that is like plots of land where they're building a little, very small subdivision of homes that are attached to the hotel. So you get the benefit of the hotel, i.e. cleaning, food, et cetera. But it's like you have a little property and then they manage it and rent it out. And when because Dominica is so undeveloped, 
you can literally get a piece of land that's, I don't know, like 500 feet up the hill and there's nothing in front of you looking out over the bay. There's no other properties. Wow. So like, where else can you find that? Yeah, right? absolutely. For like, for like not crazy expensive money. So you can buy a plot of land and have this unbelievable like oceanfront experience. Yeah. That hopefully that's insane. It is kind of insane. I and think you've just released a secret that, that nobody else knew about, including me. I'm inland. I never heard of it. So, and by the way, there's no, okay. This is the other reason why you want to look at Dominica. Now I'm going to get you hooked. You're going to have, I'm going to send you my friends. Never releasing this podcast. This is all my secret. (laughs) You're going to have for me. Seriously. So there's no property tax in Dominica. You pay, you pay one tax when you buy the land and you never pay tax ever again. No kidding. So from just like, an investment perspective, right? Sure. It's great because you, you, you know, you make that investment. And, and I just believe as humans continue to screw up everywhere else, there are going to be little pockets of like oasis that are unbelievable. And this is one of them. And you can still get in and get the land while you can, while it's affordable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. At some point, my kids are going to inherit it and they're going to go, what the hell? You know, what what is this patch of land you guys have? Oh, it's worth a few million dollars. Oh, that patch of land. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So how soon are they building on that for you? So we have a friend, we have our friend named George, who's the one that introduced us to the whole thing. And he bought his plot before us and his house is three quarters of the way done. Okay. Ours hasn't started yet. So we're going to just stay in his house, I think, for forever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would too. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, Lynn, thank you so much. That was awesome. I'm going to be in Dominica uh, as soon as I can get there yes. uh, to try to buy some land. Uh, anything else before we uh, wrap up? No, this was really fun. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Till next time on Land Life.